so much for being a part and welcome to Summit Church this morning. So hey, I want us to take our text and if you'll get your Bible out, uh, Matthew chapter 28 verse 6. And we're starting a new series here, right here on Easter morning, called The Greatest Comeback. And this is the first message in that install, the first installment in that series. And I want to talk to you today about this idea, this concept, a setup for a comeback. A setup for a comeback. Uh, we're taking a text out of Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, in the New International Version. And if you'll read it with me together, it'll, it'll go up on the screen. Um, and you can mark it in your Bible or highlight it in your Bible. You can do your U version notes, whatever. But let's all read it together. Matthew chapter 28, verse 6 in the NIV. Everyone read. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. I want to read that one more time. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Father, we thank you for your word today. We just ask you to take it, put it down deep in our hearts. Lord, plant it like a seed in the soil of our soul. And then, Lord, cause it to be cultivated and to bring forth fruit. God, we, we want our lives to be changed. We know your word can change our lives. We want our lives to be changed. We want to know you more. I pray over this entire congregation this morning that we would know you better. That, Lord, we, you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may, may know you more. God, we just pray that your hand will be upon us and you'll guide us and you'll direct us as we study your word this morning. Thank you for your presence and thank you for your goodness and thank you for all that you did for us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. You know, everyone loves a great comeback story. I, I love a great comeback story. I don't know anybody who doesn't love a great comeback story. Matter of fact, that's kind of the call on my life. I, I, I believe that the, the verse or the phrase for my life is this, that my goal in life is to lead people in a way to help them discover the potential that God has put in them to develop that potential and then deploy that de potential. And, and, and really all that means is <laughs> that, that every one of us have something that God's put in us, a dream, a, a vision, a purpose, a destiny, and we want to enact that. We want to manifest that in our lives. That's why Jesus said, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what my goal is, is to help that happen. My goal is to help connect people with that potential and help them through a relationship with Christ to be able to become everything God intends for them to be. And, and, and so we know in life people have dreams and then I love stories where people have these dreams and then they, they reach out with these dreams and they try to achieve these dreams. And as often happens in life, there's a setback. There's some kind of problem or obstacle or issue or attack that puts their life on hold, that makes it seem like the dream is dead. But then if it's a real dreamer, a real leader, they, they rally and they somehow figure out that it's not just a setback, but it's a setup for a comeback. And, and today we want to talk about the greatest comeback that ever happened. Now, when I was researching uh, this message, something funny happened because because this word comeback is, uh, you know, I'm thinking in terms of, um, I'm thinking of terms of what I just talked about. Somebody who's been set back, 
and, and it, it doesn't look like they're going to achieve it. It doesn't look like they're going to accomplish it. And then somehow they persevere. They come through and they win the day or they have victory or they come back. We, we all love the great stories of sports teams that are down and it looks like there's no way they can win, but they fight through and they come back. But when I was researching this, I was looking for different stories and different biographies and people's lives uh, as well as uh, the, the Scripture for these ideas of these comebacks. And so comeback also has another, another definition, and that is verbal comebacks. And so as I was researching, I found several that I thought were very funny, and I thought I would share them with you this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm, I'm not the guy. I'm like, um, I'm the guy that walks away and goes, oh man, I... I should have I should have said this comeback. Man, why didn't I think of that at the time? And then I have friends that, man, they, they are so quick on their feet and so witty that they have a comeback immediately. And so some of these are historic, and uh, I hope you get them all, but they were funny to me. So uh, I'm going to give you the top six, my top six of verbal comebacks. The first one was with Winston Churchill, and he said this, Nancy Astor, Astor said to Winston Churchill, if you were my husband... I'd put poison in your coffee. And Churchill immediately responded to her and said, Nancy, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Number two, Calvin Coolidge was noted when he had gone to an opera and listened to a particular singer that was not impressive. Uh, an, an audience member said, what do you think of the singer's, singer's execution? And Calvin Coolidge said, I'm all for it. <laughs> Number three, uh, some political po- opponent said to Abraham Lincoln, you're two-faced. And he responded, if I had another face, do you think I'd be wearing this one? <laughs> and if you've seen a picture of Abraham Lincoln, you know what he was talking about. Number four, there was a woman at a White House dinner at Cal- with Calvin Coolidge as president. And, and she said, Mr. Coolidge, I've made a bet with a fellow who said it's impossible to get more than two words out of you. And Coolidge's response was, you lose. <laughs> number five and almost done well, you, we all remember this if, you have, if you're as old as I am at all but there was a presidential debate between Walter, Walter Mondale and Ronald Reagan and, and, and Mondale brought, brought up Reagan's age because Reagan was a little older and Reagan just immediately retorted I want you to know that also I will not make an age issue of this campaign. I'm not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> and then the last one is my favorite, and the reason I called this my top six because of David Letterman's top ten, but I love this. David Letterman said, I'm not as dumb as I look. And Tina Fey responded, how could you be? <laughs> so those are not the kind of comebacks I'm talking about today, but I thought those were funny. And, uh, and you know, uh, I really think that uh, we need to understand how important comebacks are in life. Today, I want, I want to talk to you about this idea of the greatest comeback ever. You know, as I said earlier, that's kind of my calling. And I, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. When I see a story like this, if I read a story like this, if I'm sitting and watching a movie and it's a story like this, if it's a real person in life that I'm dealing with or talking with and they have a story like this, it blows my mind. And it will not be uncommon for, for tears to roll down my face or to well up in my eyes simply because that's so much of who I am. I really believe that God has called me 
uh, as a pastor and a leader to reach into people's lives and say, hey, listen, there's more to you than this. And especially when people are facing trials and circumstances and hardships and and saying, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if the dream is going to come to pass. I don't know if God's purpose for my life is really going to happen because look, I, I started out so well, but now... This thing has almost taken me out. I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to move from here. And then to help or coach or love or teach or even just pray and watch somebody come up against an obstacle and become so persevering and so intentional that they are going to get through it, that they bust through and break through seemingly insurmountable odds and achieve what God wanted them to achieve anyway. I just think it's one of the most beautiful things in humanity. You know, each year at Easter, we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We look at it from the Father's point of view. Or we'll look at it from Jesus' point of view. Or we'll look at it from our own point of view. Or the angel's point of view. We've done this for several years now through Easter. But this year, I want to look at it from a little different perspective. It may sound a little weird to you what I'm about to say, but this year, I want to look at it from Satan's point of view. It's obvious that the enemy of our soul has been in this battle with Jesus, with God, since His expulsion from heaven. When he thought of himself so much and got caught up in his own pride that he said, I will ascend above the throne of God and everyone will worship me. And God had him removed from the ranks of the holy. And ever since that point, there has been this encounter, this this mission The Bible tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the devil has a mission statement. You may not realize it, but this is what the Bible says, that the thief, speaking of the enemy of our soul, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, he has a mission statement, and that is this. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus, speaking of the devil, said he is only a liar. Now think about that. He, He didn't say there's any other redeeming quality in him. He is just a liar, and he's the father of lies. And he goes on to say there's no truth in him. That's why we see deception so rampant in our world today, because there is a spiritual force behind it, and it's completely false. That's his goal in life, to bring destruction, to bring death, to bring harm, to bring hurt. And except this time, his target was the Son of God. Now God prophesied about this in the Garden of Eden when when man fell and the enemy had convinced uh, uh, Eve to eat the apple and Adam ate the apple and then they disobeyed God and they fell into sin and everything became accursed and God was placing judgment and he placed judgment on Adam and he placed judgment on Eve and then he placed judgment on the serpent, the the symbolic uh, devil, Satan, Lucifer, the spirit of the world. And the the judgment that he said was this, that you will bruise the heel of the son. Speaking of the Messiah, it was one of the first messianic prophecies. And he said, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And and, and so ever since that moment, there's been this battle of engagement. And and let's not make any excuses for it or make any bones about it. The reality is the devil's not fighting God. God and the devil are not on uh, similar levels. God is far above. God never even got up off the throne to dismiss the devil from heaven. He just literally had him thrown out by Michael the archangel. 
And so what, what you need to understand is there's not this competition between God and the devil. They are not on the same level. The devil's fighting us and God's empowering us to take him on. And the reason we can take him on is because Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and the power of the devil and the authority of the devil when he did what he did. So the devil is trying to take Jesus out. And this was the moment that he would bite the heel of the Son of Man, which is, which is the part he believed. See, because I believe the devil really does believe he can beat God. Just like he believed that he could ascend above God and become the one who was worshipped. Just like he believed that he could take the Son of God out. He, at the end of all things, he's even going to uh, develop an army to try to fight against God. He really thinks he could win. But he is, his deception goes so far that he is mostly deceived about himself. And in this context, that's exactly what is happening. So what we see is that he receives and believes the prophecy that he's going to bruise the heel of the Messiah, but he doesn't necessarily see the rest of the picture that the Messiah is going to crush his head. And, and, and so what we see is it's the ultimate setup for a comeback. What the enemy was trying to do and create a setback for the kingdom of God, a setback from God's purpose and design and plan for the redemption of man. He thought he had stopped it. He thought he stopped Jesus and his purpose in the earth. But all he did was he was used by the hand of God literally to set Jesus up to knock the ball out of the park. He was, he was used thinking he's defeating Jesus, but God was really just using him to accomplish what Jesus had come to do. And literally, he set him up for a comeback. So what the enemy thought was a setback was really just a setup for a comeback. I want to talk to you today about four setups for a comeback. The first one's about a man named Morris E. Goodman. Now, Morris E. Goodman is an interesting fellow, and uh, he built a successful company in insurance, became a multimillionaire. He was at the top of his career, and he decided he wanted to learn to fly, get his pilot's license around March of 1981. And on the 10th of that same month, the plane he was flying lost power. And he attempted to get the plane back to the airstrip, but flew through some power lines accidentally and crashed to the ground. Goodman's C1 and C2 vertebrae were broken and he was paralyzed. Now, now think about this. He couldn't talk. He couldn't swallow. He couldn't breathe on his own. The only communication he could do was with blinking his eyes. Now think about this. His sister realized this and she could see that he was trying to communicate to them with his eyes blinking. And so she literally created a chart uh, that was, the only thing I could describe it is kind of similar to Morris code and she kind of hit he and her created this chart where she would hold it up and he would blink to tell her what he was saying it was an unbel unbelievable situation and uh, he would eventually though through intense practice he would eventually regain the ability to breathe on his own speech therapist helped Goodman be able to speak again and eventually he was moved to a rehabilitation center where he learned to eat and slowly begin walking again. It took around eight to nine months uh, after the accident for Goodman to walk unassisted, and he was released from the hospital under his own power. Since then, uh, Goodman has been a motivational speaker. He talks to lots of 
organizations, Fortune 500 organizations and religious institutions and churches talking about what he believed God did for him. They call him the miracle man. He was a setup for a comeback. You know, that must have felt like to him and looked like to everybody around him. Here's this guy, top of his game, doing everything. It must have felt like, oh my God, his life is never going to be the same. He's going to be completely defeated. But he grabbed a hold to a scripture of a scripture in Proverbs that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And he held on to that and he just began to believe, I believe that a man becomes what he thinks. And he changed the way he thought. And he stood on the principle of that and fought back and fought back and fought back. And his setup, something that seemed like it would be the end of his life as he knew it. It would be the end of his company, the end of his abilities, the end of him being able to move forward. And instead, it was just a a, a setup for a comeback because now not only does he have all of his faculties, but he's able to take that story and go into the lives of many, many thousands of people and communicate that you can get back up. You can have hope in your life again. You can be totally and 100% restored. You can accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. And here's the great thing about a setback. A setback is really just a setup because when you get through it, you have gained experience and education and information and inspiration from what you went through. God never wastes anything. You know, I always look at that, uh, that, 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 that story in the Bible, that account where Jesus multiplied all of the fish and the bread to 5,000 people, uh, just, just men, not counting the women and children. And he had five loaves and two fishes and he multiplies this and there were 12 baskets left over. I don't believe for a minute that was just wasted food. I believe Jesus did that to show the disciples, each one of them, don't doubt me. I can provide for you in any way. God never wastes anything. And even in our hard times, even in the setbacks, He doesn't waste it. He uses it to set us up for great comebacks. The second setup story I want to tell you about is a lady by the name of Mary Kay. Now, many of you may have heard about her, but she was... She was um, uh, an entrepreneur and she had been in a sales industry and unfortunately, in the way things were then, she would train people that would come through and most of them men and she was watching them climb the corporate ladder, but she just kept getting passed over and passed over as these men she was training were moving up in the uh, corporation. So she decided, I'm going to go do something on my own to create promotion for myself. So her setback was this. After 25 years in sales, Stanley Home Products, she resigned in 1963, frustrated that the firm overlooked her for promotions, even as men she trained rose through the ranks. But then she had a turnaround. Uh, she, she began writing an advice book for businesswomen and soon realized that she was writing a business plan for herself. Mary Kay Cosmetics was born and the company reached $2.5 billion in wholesale sales worldwide in 2009. Now, do you think that she would have reached or attained to that level if she had just stayed in that job that just continued to pass her over? It felt like in her life that she was not going to achieve. She had so much in her, so much uh, of dreams and so much passion, so much potential, but no one else was recognizing it or realizing it. It seemed like a setback in her life. It seemed like no one's ever going to give me an opportunity. I'm trying to earn it. I'm trying to be there. And if it's not going to happen, I'm just going to go out and try to dream this dream on my own. And she does. And as a result, she builds a huge company that still, still exists today and is affecting and impacting so many people even today. I love the quote that she said. She said, for every failure, 
There's an alternative course of action. You just have to find it. And when you come to a roadblock, take the detour. (laughs) I love that. And you know why I love that? Because it speaks of a setback turning into a setup for a comeback. Because you, you can look at your obstacles in life, you can look at the problems, you can look at the sins, you can look at the failures and go, I'm not going to make it, I could never do this, I'll never achieve it. You know, I struggled with that when I was a new Christian. I struggled with failing sometimes and, and, and getting it wrong and falling into sin and going, oh, when am I ever going to grow up and just struggling with that. And I'm just going to tell you, there just came a moment in my life where I realized I'm learning, I'm developing, I'm growing, and this is not going to destroy me. It's building me to become the person that God intends for me to become. For every failure, there's an alternative course of action. Did you know that's scriptural? The Bible says that with every temptation, Jesus provides a way of escape. There's a different way to go. When things are troubling you, when things are overwhelming you, when things are overcoming you, you can stop. And what may look like a setback in your life, you need to understand God will use it to set you up for the greatest comeback you've ever experienced in your life. You know, the lesson we learn from that is some of the best business ideas come out of personal pain, personal experience, personal issues. Um, I, I love the, the, the next comeback story, the next setup for a comeback. And this is what we find in the book of Joshua. And it's the story of Caleb. Now, Caleb was an unbelievably great leader. Now, Caleb was just partnered with Joshua. If you remember correctly, Moses led the children of Israel. And Joshua and Caleb were kind of partners. And when Moses decided they were going to go into the Canaan land after they had delivered them from Egypt, and it was an 11-day journey. Think of that. It was an 11-day journey to Canaan from where they were. And the truth is, Um, they could have gone into Canaan in that amount of time, but instead, because of their doubt and their failure and their fear, they had to stay in that wilderness for 40 years. Now, I'd call that a setback. Because here's what happened. Moses sent out 12 spies into Canaan land. And he said, I want you to find out what this land is like. And the spies came back, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, and they were around 40 years of age. And they came back and they said, look, Man, this place is a place flowing with milk and honey. They were carrying grapes between them, one bunch of grapes that they had to carry on a pole between two guys. I mean, they said the land is fertile. And then they went on to say, let's go up now. We are well able under the power and strength of God to do what he's promised us we could do. But the other spies said, no. The other spy said that there are giants in the land. The the, the other spy said there's walled cities. And so here you have these two perspectives. And it's so sad to me that Caleb's perspective was, let's go, let's make it happen, let's get the promise. Come on, we can do this. This is the attitude of Caleb. But because of the fear of everyone else, he was set back. But then that generation died off. But the only two people in that generation that didn't die off The only two people out of that whole generation that were allowed to go into the promised land was Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb came to the part of land that God had promised him and it was a mountainous territory and there were giants in the land. And Caleb was now not 40, but 80. But you know what Caleb said? He said, I am well able, give me my mountain. 
See, because what had happened when they were going through the wilderness, Caleb was watching Joshua and he was watching Moses Moses, and he was learning and he was developing and he used the experience of that setback to equip him and develop him and give him courage and strength and ability. And so when he came into that land, he was ready to take it. So what seemed like a setback of 40 years just became a setup for the greatest victories in his life. See, that's what God wants to do with us. Every, every one of us are facing, when we have a dream, when we have a desire, when we have a vision, when we just want to live a life that matters, life just does this. Whether it's the devil or it's life or it's circumstances or it's what someone else did, you, you're going to run up against some walls. You're going to run up against some setbacks. But what I'm here to tell you this morning is because of the principle that I'm going to teach you in just a moment, you do not have to give up. You do not have to let failure destroy you. You do not let, have to let troubles and problems overcome you or overwhelm you. Because God. You see, you may not have the power. You may not have the ability. You may not have the strength to overcome whatever situation or to, to come back from a hardship or a difficulty. But God does have the strength and God does have the power. And I'm just going to tell you, in your weakness, He is made strong. He shows up. When we don't have it, He's got it. When we can't do it, He can. When it seems impossible to us, all things are possible with God. There's nothing impossible with Him. I wouldn't really give you a whole lot for what we can do on our own. But I'll tell you this, I trust God and I know God can do anything. You know, there's a principle here at work in all of these people's lives, and that's this, Romans 8, 28. It's a really important principle that Paul taught us in the New Testament. He said this, he said, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, this principle is conditional because it's not all things work out for everybody. It's not what it says. And I know a lot of times we use that scripture that way. We put it up on posters and we put it in our house and we put it in frames and we say, all things are going to work out. It's all going to work out for good. No, that's not what that scripture says. That scripture says all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now we know how love for God is defined, obedience to God. Jesus said, if you love me, the way you show that is by obeying my word. Right. So we understand that the love of God. So if I love God, I'm in obedience to God. And if if I'm if I'm called according to his purpose, I'm not walking according to my purpose. I'm walking according to his purpose. I've prayed that prayer and I've believed it in my heart. Right. And so what I want to challenge us today is if you're going through a setback, it's literally just a set up for a comeback. If you are loving God and called according to his purpose. Man, we we spend so much time trying to figure out what is our purpose. What do we want? But the truth is, what we need to know is what does He want for us? And when we figure out what God wants for us, it changes everything, literally. It changed my life so thoroughly when I realized, this is why we do our growth track. 
This is why we do Summit Next. Because it's not just some class of membership or to get involved in the church or show up for stuff. Man, it is a way for you to figure out what your purpose is. It is a way for you to figure out what the purpose of this church is and the purpose of the kingdom of God is and how God can use what He's put in you to advance what He wants to do in the earth. And listen, the most fulfilled place, the most satisfying place, the most significant place to be in your life is in that pocket of the will of God. Because no matter what happens around you, no matter what mountains look like they're in your way, no matter what fear other people may have, no matter what the circumstances say in your finances, all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Amen. Man, it's so true. So then we look at the greatest comeback. Jesus. His dream, God's dream for sending Jesus was all about the redemption of mankind. We read in Hebrews how Jesus, the Bible says that he endured the cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. The joy was simply this, our salvation, the redemption of mankind. That was the dream God had in his heart. That's what he was doing. That's why he was sending Jesus. Now, the Jews misunderstood it. Even Satan misunderstood it. Jesus was the Messiah, which meant he was going to come on the scene. He was going to overthrow the oppressive governments, and he was going to rule the world. And ultimately, that's what will happen. But right now, what Jesus was trying to do is redeem the world so that the world could be saved, and their lives could be changed, and they could follow his kingdom. See, Jesus didn't come to rule the world in terms of physical things. He came to rule the hearts of man to change their hearts so they could have a relationship with God. He was born, he grew, he became a prophet and a teacher. He had developed an excellent team. He had been accepted by many as the Messiah. His dream seemed to be coming true. But he was opposed by many as a heretic and as a blasphemer. See, the setback was this. When he started his ministry, he had to face the devil. You remember, he went out into the wilderness after he was baptized, and he had to face the temptation of the devil. And the devil, uh, he was tempted, and the devil would come back many times. The Bible says the devil left him for a period of time. So the devil, over his three-and-a-half-year ministry, would come back and try to challenge him with doubt and fear and intimidation. But it never worked because Jesus understood the word. My God, he was the word. And finally, the devil stirred up one of his own to betray him. He possessed Judas. You may miss that in the Bible, but the Bible says when Judas actually went and traded Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the Bible literally says that Satan himself, Lucifer, possessed Judas. You can see the devil behind the scenes constantly throughout Jesus' ministry and throughout his life trying to sidetrack, trying to take him off course. He, he, you could see him, the same crowd that praised him just days before saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, was now demanding his torture and his death. And the devil had convinced them that so thoroughly that good was evil and that evil was good that they were willing to release a murderous revolutionary and crucify a perfect man. The enemy thought he was winning. You know, he must have laughed when Jesus was beaten. You, you know, he must have rejoiced when they placed him on the cross. You know, he was in the mouth of the soldiers when they said, who hit you, king of the Jews? He was in the mouth of the people when they said, if you're the son of God, take yourself down. 
from the cross. You know, he stood at the foot of the cross and he watched every single moment. He watched Jesus struggle for every last breath. And he watched the soldiers gamble over Jesus' clothes. And he watched his mother, who was so distraught about the loss of her dear and precious son. He watched with glee as he heard the words, it is finished. As he watched Jesus breathe his last breath and give way to death. He stood there. And he thought, I did it. I stopped him. I stopped him. It was the greatest setback in history. I stopped the Messiah. I broke the back of God. He's through. He said it himself. It's finished. I can't do anything else. It's over. I'm done. I've tried. I've failed. In the mind of the devil, that's what it seemed like. I've killed him. I've destroyed him. He, he didn't crush my head. I bruised his heel. I, he didn't get me. He didn't destroy me. He thought Jesus was saying, it's over. He thought Jesus was giving up. He didn't realize what looked and sounded like a setback for Jesus was really just a setup for the greatest comeback we have ever seen ever in history. He had bitten the blessed son's heel, but he didn't realize that the same son was about to crush his stinking head. And you can look at the life of Jesus and you can see something very clear that the devil wanted to destroy him. There was spiritual war going on. You see the devil at the temptation. You see the devil in the demoniacs trying to expose Jesus before it was his time. You see the devil in the confusion and pride and deception of the religious establishment. You see the devil stirring up the crowd and possessing Jesus. You, Judas, you see them, uh, him in the crowd. He does all this because he wants to destroy Jesus. He wants to put a hurt on God. He believes he can defeat the Son of God. And all the time it looked like a setback. The whole time he thought he was accomplishing his goal. He thought he was succeeding, but we can see by the Word of God that it was just a setup. See, the devil thought he was setting back the purpose of God when all the time God was using him to set up the purpose of God. The devil watched in victory as the disciples scattered and cried and they were confused. He and the demons must have roared in victory as if they had won the battle and defeated God when they closed the tomb. He watched him be put in that tomb. Three days went by. During that three days, Jesus, who would ascend, also first descended into hell and he took captivity captive and he set the captive free and he prepared himself to come out of that grave with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Three days went by. All the wind went out of the sails of the disciples. They simply did not know what to do. This is not how it was supposed to turn out. What's going on here? Our Jesus, our King, we thought He was the Messiah. He's dead. By all accounts, Satan had won. Jesus was dead. The movement was over. His people were scattered. It was done. However, on that Sunday morning, following that, what we call Good Friday, which is such a seemingly misnomer, because what was so bad for him was so good for us. Jesus stood up. Can you imagine what that must have been like, the spirit of death? Jesus stood up in that tomb under his own volition, under his own power, by the same power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. He stood up and he punched death right in the face. He killed death 
and stole his power forever. That's why you and I don't have to fear death because us dying just means taking a step on into the presence of God. I wish I could have seen what Satan and all his minions' faces must have looked like when they realized that the setback they had planned for Jesus was just God setting them up to take a beating. With a crashing and crushing blow, all Satan felt at that moment was the heavy, resurrected foot of the Messiah, the chosen one, the king of all kings, coming down with a massive stomp to his head. Yes, Satan, you may have bruised his heel, but he crushed your head and destroyed your works and has given his kids, us, those who believe, the authority and the power to continue to overcome the enemy and all his attempts to stop the kingdom of God. So the foundation was laid. The kingdom of Satan laid in a hip, heap on the ground. Why? Why? Because Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king of kings. God's dream was coming to pass. We describe Jesus as he that was and is and is to come. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't stop him the devil couldn't set him back but God set him up and he came back and he is coming back it was just a setup for a comeback literally the greatest comeback ever can I just tell you something it's one thing to come back from a hard difficult circumstance it's one thing to come back from a severe accident it's one thing to come back from a financial crash. It's one thing to come back from a loss in your life. It's one thing to come back from circumstances that seem so, so harsh and so difficult. But it's a whole nother thing to come back from death. It's a whole nother level to come back from the, what seems to be the permanent setback. Do you imagine the disciples felt, he's gone. It, it's over. We, we've got nothing left. They went back to what they used to do. The disciples went back to fishing. They, they went back to what they used to do. They went back to the old life. It's over. This great movement, this great powerful church, this great purpose of God is not going to happen. It's just over. And I just cannot imagine what it must have been like when they realized, when they saw Him, when, when they saw Him. I mean, think of that. what that Scripture says that we just read there. It says, then the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's arisen just as he said. Come and see the place where he was laying. One of the translations and one of the gospels says this, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's a way of saying, didn't he say that even though there would be a setback, he was going to come back? And I want to tell you something, the world may look disheveled right now. And it may look like the church is set back. It may look like that, that the culture has gone to seed. It may look like that we are facing evil right in the face and corruption in the face and immorality in the face. But let me tell you something, what looks like a setback church is not a setback. It is a setup for the comeback of the church like we have never seen before. It's a time for us to rise and stand and believe and, and trust 
trust and be convinced and know that God is able to do what he said he would do in our lives. And no matter what you're facing and no matter what you're dealing with, Jesus is not through with us. The story is not over. It may look like things are dead. It may look like your dream has died. It may look like there's no future for you. It may look like there's no hope. Let me tell you something. All there is is hope because Jesus is coming back and he has already erupted from that tomb. And what seemed like a setback was nothing but a comeback waiting to happen. God is good to us. Amen. And here's the truth. Jesus wants to set you up for a comeback. Sin will set you back, but Jesus will set you up for a comeback. Jesus loves you, and he wants to set your life up for purpose and for destiny and for future. Let's waste no more time. Let's waste no more time with setbacks. But let's look around and use setbacks as the equipment, as the, as, the, as the ability, as the education, information, and inspiration to take the next step. Because God will use it to set us up for great comebacks in our life. And the greatest comeback you could make today, the greatest comeback you could make, is even though sin sets us back as humans, and it keeps us from a relationship with God, Jesus went to that cross and he died. And he went into that grave. And he burst through it living so that he could set you up for a great comeback from sin. It doesn't have to rule you. It doesn't have to destroy you. It doesn't have to own you. Jesus loves you. And salvation is a setup. That's all it is for great things to happen in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for, for how good you are. Lord, I've looked at my life so many times and I've thought, it's over. We can't do anymore. There's nothing we can do. I've, I've felt the overwhelming pressure of our day and our time where it feels like, it feels like we're just being pushed out. And sometimes I feel like, what are we going to do? Are we going to let it happen? Are we going to stand for righteousness and love people and spend, spend our lives giving the grace of God? And so Lord, we choose the latter. We will not be defeated. We will not be set back. We will not be overcome. But we will. We will stand in the authority you've given us. And Lord, today, there are people that need you. There are people that need you right now. In this room, they need you. In church online, they need you. Right now, they need you. And I just ask you to touch their hearts by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment to just give you the opportunity to start the journey to your set, to your comeback. That sin tried to take humanity out, tried to stop us from accomplishing the will and purpose of God, but it cannot do it if we'll turn to God and give our life to Him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or you're in church online and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you today. Listen, God loves you and He wants to set you up for a great comeback in your life. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you significance. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you love and grace and joy. But it takes you to, to committing to Him and dedicating yourself to Him. I will follow you. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. 
and I will commit to follow you. I repent from my old ways and I follow after you. And if that's you today, and you could say, I know I'm, something in my heart is telling me I need to make this decision. I'm asking you to make it right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm not going to pull anyone to the front and I'm not going to call them out and I'm not going to have you say something in front of people. None of that. I'm just going to let you know that we're going to pray together and God will meet you where you are. So if that's you in that situation right now, I want you just to lift up your hand. I want you to let us know in church online by communicating with the host there and just say, I am making a decision to follow Christ today. And you know what? You might worry, well, what if I can't do it? And what if I'm not good enough? And what? Don't worry about any of those things. You know what? how we come to Jesus? Just as we are. That's how we come to Jesus. Because he loves us just as we are. And then he loves us so much, he'll begin to make us into the person he intends us to be with his love and his grace. So if that's you today, I just want to pray with you. So just, just let me know by lifting your hand. Let me know by, by telling me, Pastor, I want you to lead me in this prayer today. And if you're on church online, just do that by telling the host. And then we want to pray this prayer with you. And I want everybody to pray this prayer with us together. I want everybody to pray this prayer with us together. And then we're going to believe God to meet people where they are. And if you're making this decision today, just say these words out of the sincerity of your heart. God will meet you where you are. And it'll change your life. It'll begin the process of your comeback. Amen. Amen. So pray after me. Father God. I come to you in the name of Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn away from my way. And I turn towards your way. Lord, sin and life has set me back. And I don't feel like I'm who I'm supposed to be. I'm asking you to set me up for a comeback. I'm asking you to change my life. Make me a new creation. Forgive me of my sins. And I confess, Jesus Christ, you are the Lord and Savior of my life. And I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe you rose again from the dead. And I accept your grace and your goodness. And I commit to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.